All right. Uh, youth group, you're excused. We'll see you later if you want to head up with Pastor Jimmy. Uh, give him a hug on the way up there because he loves that. Uh, bless you all this morning. Uh, thanks for being here. All right. Uh, here comes this part. If you weren't here last week, Pastor Jimmy didn't hear this part, but if you weren't here, here comes a shout response in our church. I know we don't do a lot of shouting. Here's our shout response. So if you weren't prepared for that, uh, it's about to happen right now. So uh, I'm going to shout something, and then you guys are going to shout it to God, really, and then uh, to one another. I'm going to shout, I love God, and I love you all, okay? So ready to do that again. Last week, I was like, legit blown away. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they're so amazing at that. And so I'm expecting, I have high expectations for this week as well. All right, so here we go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, then you guys are going to go. I love God and I love you all. I love God and I love you all. Woo, all right. So uh, have you guys ever had a really hard decision? Like, I mean, like where you, you really wanted what wanted both of something. I used to work at, uh, the first time I went to Baskin Robbins, I was 11 years old. I remember I went with a friend. I had been to Thrifty's Ice Cream because it was cheap, but I'd never been to Baskin Robbins. I went to Baskin Robbins and I had world-class chocolate. It's a mix of white and dark chocolate and, and it was the smoothest, smoothest ice cream I had ever eaten. Is that how you make up my own words as we go? <clears throat> it was like so smooth and I was like amazing. It wasn't like the regular ice cream that I was used to eating and I was so stoked. And then uh, later on in life, I actually worked at a Baskin Robbins and uh, I would eat this all the time until I discovered another one called pralines and cream. And I don't know if you ever go now. I go to, uh, I go into Baskin Robbins. We try to go once, you know, once a month or so we roll into there. And then I'm stuck with this dilemma, world-class chocolate or pralines and cream? Because I can't get a double scoop, obviously, because I can't afford to have all those calories, but I can have one. And so I'm sitting there like, which should I have? Which should I have? And that's a really tough decision, you know, like, oh, because one's creamer, but the other one has some caramel in it and a little nutty and it's good. And, oh. and I don't know if you've ever had a really difficult uh, decisions to make like that one. When, when my wife and I, before we got married, we were looking for a house. <coughs> this has nothing to do with ice cream. And uh, uh, we were living in uh, Fullerton at the time, and uh, we were looking at these uh, new builds that were just starting there. And like, uh, we, we looked at the model, model home or whatever, and it was like $220,000. Now, we only had about 190000 To get to two twenty, we'd have to like be way out of our budget. This was about 20 years ago. You know, and so we, but these houses were uh, 220000 and it was like this, this neighborhood that was about to be built, and, and uh, it was going to look really beautiful. It turns out this place was called Amaridge Heights. I don't know if you ever heard of this thing. And then it turns out now the house that we would have bought for 200000 is now about seven or $800,000. So well, that, that's not the point of my story. But uh, <laughs> today's about regret, right? <laughs> it's about like not, not seizing the moment. <laughs> but not really. But, but we had this decision, but it turns out like the house... Like, we ended up having to walk away from buying that one, and we were a little bit frustrated because uh, we just weren't willing to pay that much. It was just a little bit too outside of our budget. I mean, we kind of wanted it, like, right, you know, it wasn't that we didn't want it. We really did, but, but it was a little bit outside, and so we settled in the fine city of Buena Park, and, and the rest is history, right? And so um, uh, today we're going we're gonna to continue to look at this, the life of this rich young person uh, who has a much more important decision to make. Like he turned to Jesus earlier, like last week we were looking, he turned to Jesus and he was asking Jesus uh, uh, about eternal things. He was asking and seeking and wondering. And, and, and here's what we saw last week from this guy. Behold, a man came up to Jesus and he said to Jesus, teacher, what good uh, deed must I do to, to have eternal life? And Jesus says to him, why do you ask me about what's good? 
There's only one who's good. It's referring to God. And if you would enter life, then you've got to keep the commandments. And then a guy says, well, which ones? Jesus says, you know, like, don't murder or commit adultery or steal or bear false witness and honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. And the young guy says, all these I've kept, what do I still lack? So that's what we saw last week. And I'd asked you this week to just be praying about, like, uh, do we get to that place in, in our lives? Or, like, I've been doing these things, God. What do I still lack? What is still missing in my life? When one asks that question, they better be ready for the answer. So he's asking Jesus the question, like, what, Jesus, do I lack? And I invited all of us to search our hearts this week to see what do we still like? What, what areas of doubt or uncertainty or ambivalence are still in our lives? Because I think that we sit in the same place as this man, minus the rich, young, and ruler in my case. <laughs> so, like, so not literally, but, uh, but I think we, we sit in this place asking Jesus, what do we, what do we lack? And here's Jesus' answer. Jesus says to him, if you'd be perfect, then you've got to go. You've got to sell what you possess, and you've got to give to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So Jesus tells him to do two things. He tells him to remove the roadblock and to come follow me. Let me say that again. Jesus tells him to do two things. He said, what am I lacking? What a, I'm seeking you. I want the eternal. This is what I'm looking for, Jesus. And Jesus says, here's the two things you need to do. Remove your roadblock and come follow me. The first thing is to remove that roadblock. The call to forsake everything and follow Jesus is a call to put God first in all things. Now, when we look at this passage, we can make two mistakes. The first one is that we could believe that selling all our possessions, that that applies to everyone. When Jesus, he never made a general command to all people that they have to sell all their stuff all the time. But he did make it a specific command to this individual, this particular individual whose riches were clearly an obstacle to his discipleship. I think instead, many rich people could do more good in the world by continuing to make money, by using those resources for the glory of God and for the good of other people. And so that's the first mistake we, we, we would make that, that saying this passage, everybody has to sell everything that they have all the time. The mark of this kind of person who has the ability to generate money for God would be a, a mark of joy, that they enjoy the things God give, has given them, they enjoy their possessions, but they are extravagant generosity. So they, they give away ridiculously as well. And so, so if you want to know if you have that gift, I was wondering, you know, do I have that gift to generate money, God, and to, to use it for you? Well, do you enjoy the things he gives you and thank him always for them? And then do you give away generously and extravagantly? And if you do, then, then you're fine. You're in this category. The second mistake, however, is to believe that this passage isn't applying to anyone. When clearly today in America, as we look at it, materialism is a, is a problem for many people. The best thing some of us could do for our own spiritual lives is to start to give away possessions, is to start to get away from this rampant materialism that's in America. So that is true for some people. But the principle is true for all people that in order to follow Jesus, we have to remove a roadblock. You see, for the soul, wealth can be as much a prison as poverty. And so God may challenge and require one individual to give up something for the sake of, like, God's kingdom, and he doesn't ask someone else to give up that same thing. For this guy, money was his God. Money was his form of idolatry. 
idolatry meaning that he puts something above God, that, that it has his heart more than God has his heart. This is why Jesus, knowing the guy's heart, asks, asks him to renounce his possessions because they're holding him back. They're keeping him from, like, from going all in with Jesus, keeping him from going all in with God. And so for him, it was his wealth. It wasn't his nobility. It wasn't his uh, youth. It wasn't some other situation. The problem for him was his money, and it was holding him back. For each of us, it's something different. Right? Everyone, we don't have the same roadblock. We don't have the same thing that we're holding on to. Everybody has something that's different. And I would say that it's easy to give up the things that we don't like. Like, so when I'm, I'm reading the Bible or the pastor's talking and they're saying things, I don't really like it anyway, then that's really easy for me to give up. Like uh, things that don't give me satisfaction or things that are uninteresting. So I have no problem when I'm reading the Bible and, and following the idea of don't murder. Like, I don't have any problem with that. I have no issue with not murdering because I'm not really interested in murder. I think it's gross. I don't like blood. I don't want to see anyone get blooded. I don't want to get hurt myself. I don't want to be any murder situations. And so I don't really have a hard time not murdering. That's a pretty easy one for me. And so I say, God, wow, I'm like all the way there. I don't murder. You know, I, I, I don't do that, God, because I'm not interested in that. I, I don't have a problem with coveting my neighbor's wife. Because I think my wife is beautiful and amazing and lovely, and I have since I was 15, and it hasn't changed since then. And so for, what's that, 30 years? And so I don't really have this issue. So when God says, don't covet your neighbor's wife, I'm like, yeah, no problem. Don't murder people. Okay, yeah, no problem. See, there's lots of things that are no problem that we easily give to God, right? Like, oh, yeah, I don't, I don't mind that one. I don't mind that one. I don't mind that one. Don't worst, bow down to like a stone statue. Not an issue for my life, right? I have never bowed down to any stones. I don't even have a stone statue to bow down to. I wouldn't know how to do it. And so that one's super easy for me to follow. But God asks us to give up everything to follow him. And I think that it's like 90% easy. Ooh, but that last 10%. That last 10%'s a doozy, right? If you've become a Christian, you're like, okay, God, you can have this area and this area and this area. And, and we're good, right? Like, oh, I've given you a lot, God. I've given over 90%, but this one I'm going to hold on to. 90% is super easy. But it's that last 10%. See, this guy had a divided heart when it came to God, and God demands an undivided heart. This man was willing to accept 90% of the things, to work hard, to deny himself. He said, like, I'd kept the commandments. He said, all those ones, the, yeah, I love my neighbors. I did this. I went above and beyond. And he had no problem doing that kind of stuff. And then Jesus says, hey, there's something you're still holding back. And Jesus says, I want that 10% too, because I want 100%. I don't want just 90%. Jesus demands more than our mostly. Jesus doesn't want just most of you. He doesn't want, like, pretty much all of you. He actually demands all of us, more than 90%, our entire being. And I was thinking about it. It's sort of like having a 90% faithful wife. Like, she's usually faithful. Like, 9 out of 10 days, she's, like, totally faithful. Um, so I did the math. That's, like, three times a month she has sex with somebody else. So, but, but she's pretty faithful, though, right? 90%. What would we call that woman? Well, not out loud, right? What would we, we would call that person, we would, <laughs> maybe a marital problem. <laughs> we would probably call her unfaithful, right? At minimum. <laughs> three out of, th what, three, three days a month she's sleeping with somebody else, then she's mostly faithful. 
right? So that's good enough. Be like, no, that's not how faithful works. And God says, that's the exact same analogy. Like, I don't want you mostly faithful. I don't want, it doesn't matter that she was faithful 27 days. That, that's really cool too. But those three days really matter. They actually cause a break in relationship. They cause her actually not to be a faithful life. In fact, if that was the case, she wouldn't be my wife any longer. God would allow me to be in a situation where we could even divorce that person because of their unfaithfulness. And so all this guy's, uh, you know, if we, if we tell God, like, I only worship 10%, I mean, I only idol worship 10% of the time. I, God, I only withhold 10% of the areas of my life from you. You know what Jesus says? He says, no bueno. He says, that's not good enough. Just like I would say, I don't want a 90% faithful wife, God doesn't want a 90% faithful follower. All this guy's good works were like 90%, and God wants 100%. And God wants 100% from, from you as well. And so don't look to the left or the right on this one because it's easy to say, like, yeah, this person's clear. They're, like, at 60%. <laughs> easy to say, like, well, I have a higher percentage of God than they do. But I'm asking you not to do that. Don't look left or le- right or left. Look inside your heart right now. Does God have 100% of you? All areas. Nothing left off the table. If not, whatever the area is, that's the area Jesus is asking you to give up. See, that's the area that's the roadblock so that you can follow him. It it may be materialism. It may be something else. Whatever comes to mind, like Jesus can have these, 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 but you hold on to this other one, this other piece, that's the one Jesus is like, hey, what what you got there? (laughs) You're like, nothing. No, really, show me. No, 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 there ain't anything here. You go, I'm, I'm, I read my Bible, I did my QT. You could have all the rest, but I'm going to keep this one. I'm going to hold this back from you. I'm not going to submit this to you. This is mine. Jesus tells um, this guy, you've got to remove the roadblock, and then you've got to follow me. If you don't let go first, then you can't follow. That thing will always get in the way. And I'm talking to you, if you, if you can... If, if your soul can hear this, because I think there's, there, that we have stuff that block us from Jesus. Now, I think that as a church, you guys are phenomenal people. I think you are extraordinary, better than, than almost every person group that I've ever met. And I'm so proud of that. But, but I want us to ask the question, is there a peace that we're still holding away from God? Because unless we give that up, we can't follow him. Because Jesus says to do two things. He says, remove the roadblock and then follow me. In 19 and 21, in Matthew, Jesus says, go sell what you possess, give to the poor, and come follow me. He simply makes this call to this guy to be his disciple. He said, follow me. And he said this similar language many times before. When he went up to, to Peter, James, John, those fishermen, what did he just come? He came up to them and he said, hey, come follow me. And they left their father's nets and they left their business and they went and they just followed Jesus. And so this is what Jesus does. He just calls people to come and follow him. But for this guy that we're talking about today, it meant leaving behind these riches that he had set his heart upon. And Jesus asks him to make a really hard decision for him. Jesus says, I need you to give up that last piece and then come follow me. Following Jesus is a serious commitment. Like it's it's life-altering. And you don't get to keep 10%. 
Jesus asked a little bit earlier in the book of Matthew, he records this talk to Jesus. Jesus was talking to his disciples. And he says this. This is from three chapters earlier. Jesus says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple, they've got to deny themselves and take up their cross and then they follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for me, they're going to find it. Do you hear those requirements set by Jesus? He says you've got to deny yourself. I mean, subtract your stuff. No longer can it be about me or my needs or my hopes or my vices or my desires or my plans or my idols. To deny yourself says, okay, God, it's not about what I wanted to do, what I'm going to do, what my plans are. And then he says, take up your cross, which means be willing to go to the death penalty to follow Jesus. All in and everything in between. And then he says, follow me. To add his stuff. So I've got I to say no to me. I've got to say, okay, I'm going to give all of this up. And then I can follow you. I'm going to start to see what do you want, Jesus? Where do you want me to go? I'm going to go the path you want. I'm going to follow your direction. I'm going to add your things. To fundamentally look at the world in a different way. Like it may not change your immediate situation, but, but it might. It might require that, that you make some changes. For each of us, it's different. When I became a new Christian, I was at UCI. I was a theater major. I don't know if everybody knew that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's how I got into UCI. I couldn't go in as a pre-med, right? There's no way I get accepted. So I went in as a theater major, uh, and I had to go there because my future wife was going there. So <laughs> the one I met when I was 15, right? <laughs> so anyway, uh, I go to UCI. I'm a theater major. Um, I become a Christian in my first semester, my first uh, trimester at UCI. And then uh, a little bit later, I'm working on this play, uh, it was a version of Hamlet, but it was a really bizarre version of Hamlet uh, where there's like, there was a fridge that had blood pumping out of it. It was insane kind of stuff. Like only college and acid together make this kind of play. And so there was someone on acid at UCI totally making this play. And in, in this Hamlet, it was like a, a full nude Hamlet. So Hamlet was all naked the whole time. And like the narrators were on these, in these harnesses, these like girls, and they were flying around naked, like, and it was, so it was like, and I had just become a Christian, I was like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> this cannot be good for my soul, I'm not sure, I don't know a lot about the Bible, but this seems really bad, blood gushing and naked people flying around and stuff, and so I was like so overwhelmed, I was like, I gotta do something, I don't know what to do, and, and so I dropped out of school, because I, I didn't know what to do. I thought that if you went into UCI as a theater major that you had to stay that. And I couldn't be a theater major anymore. And it was like, it was too risque. It was too like crazy for me. And I was like, I just, I just got to get out of here. So I dropped out of school. No, I, I didn't know you could change majors. <laughs> so it turns out that's an option, but I didn't, I didn't pursue that one. I didn't even know uh, that that was possible. So you're really smart when you're a teenager, right? Like, so my, my son tries to claim he's like 19. I'm so smart. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember 19. Like it was dicey at best, right? But I knew I had to get out of there. And so, so like, I had, to, I had to give up this thing that I had hoped for for a long time. It, it was my career path. It was my major. It was my, like my school. It was where this girl that I really liked went, you know? And then I had to give it all up because I was following Jesus. So sometimes he asks you to give things up that are in the way of following him. And so uh, that one I was uh, able to give up, and, and the rest is kind of history. Now, not, not everyone is willing to follow Jesus' requirements. Let's notice again this young man's reaction. So here's his reaction. When the young man heard this, 
He went away sorrowful because he had a lot of stuff. He had great possessions. So this man's reaction was to walk away grieved because he's rich. At this moment in his life, riches won. He just passed up the opportunity for eternal life. He passed up the opportunity to walk with actual Jesus on the planet. Money won and he lost. But, but that really just shows us the power of money. It shows us the power of the things of this world, which hold us hostage, right? Now, now it may be money, but it may be these other things that hold us hostage. And they hold us just as powerfully as money does. For many of us, it's literally money. Like it, it literally is because of our money that we can't follow Jesus completely. It's because I'm worried about my retirement. It's because I'm worried about like my job. It's because I'm worried about like what would happen if I didn't make this kind of money. For others of us, it's like the friends that we have. And I, I don't want to give up this friend and hanging out and getting drunk or doing whatever we do with this particular friend. For some of us, it's like internal some issues that we still hold on to, anger or judgmentalism, uh, bitterness that we're holding all the way from like when we were a kid. For each of us, it's different things, which are the roadblock. It may be perfectionism. It may be, it may be your, your work, that you are a workaholic. Like it's okay to make a self-assessment and say, man, I, maybe I work too much. Maybe I'm not home enough. Maybe I don't have any space for God at all because I'm always working. For some of us, it may even be kids. This is a really tough admission, you guys, that, that I've been wrestling with for some time. I've been thinking a lot about it over the last maybe six months. That have I personally, so this is a personal confession here, have I, have I made something as wonderful and amazing as my kids, have I made that into an idol? And I, and I think that I have. And, and in the last month or so, I've been trying to, to really pray through it and think about it. Because I think that I'm more moved my, by my kids than I am by, by my God. I think I, I prioritize my kids even over my time with God. I think that my kids have the ability to steal my joy in the Lord. Like th- that can't be right. right? So, so if my kids like, uh, react bad or uh, aren't that nice to me or whatever, then, then it really hurts my, my, my internal compass a bit. And so, so I think that I have made something wonderful like children. I think they're wonderful. I think they're amazing. I love mine. I think they're amazing. I love your guys' too. You guys have great kids. But I think that we might make them idols. And I think that I'm not alone in it. Because our desire to be such good parents and to, and to have amazing kids, I think for some of us, our kids have taken a higher place than God has. And I think that's something that, that I didn't even notice, but I think it crept in. And I've just been assessing over the last few months about have I prioritized that over God. Now, I don't think that I... I think that it would be wrong then to quit my kids like I quit UCI, right? That wouldn't be the solution. <laughs> Sorry, kids, this is how I do. <laughs> I'm following God. You're on your own. <laughs> like I don't, that's not the answer. So it's not that I have to quit my kids, but I do have to reprioritize. I do have to be really careful that they're not the focus of my joy, my satisfaction, my life. They're not the thing that, that brings me fulfillment. 
but rather God does. So Jesus tells us to rearrange our priorities, not necessarily get rid of things. To really abandon the, the, the desire for the things of the earth, the treasures of the earth, and to seek his treasures that are found in heaven. And they're found in Jesus and Jesus alone. This is absolutely a non-negotiable in the Bible and Christianity. It's only Jesus who provides eternal life. It's only Jesus who can fill that void that lacks in our life. And any time we put something else in that place, that's idol worship. And it will never be fulfilling. And we can't follow God with that thing stuck there. See, this young man is deaf to all of this kind of stuff because of the noise of his wealth. It's drowned out all options, even God. And that's wow. The guy goes away sorrowful. The word means, like, in, in Greek, it's sad to the point of distress. He, remember he was, like, asking Jesus what is he lacking, and he, he, the response causes him more stress than what he came in with. So he came in, like, stressed, like, oh, God, how do I know if I have eternal life and this kind of stuff? And, like, and what am I lacking? Jesus says, do this, and then his response internally is even a greater distress. Because he wasn't willing to let this thing go, he wasn't willing to let his possessions go, it causes him this great distress. And he's like, oh! He was unwilling to relinquish his wealth to follow God. He loved his money more than God, and he couldn't let it go. See, at your core... At the very core of you as a human being, and, and that's outside of all the stuff, if you, just, if you just go down to the center of who you are, not your family, not your car, not your job, not your dreams, not your worries, you get down to the core of who you are, you can only hold on to one thing. You can't hold on to more than one at your core. And if you don't release that which you grip the tightest, then you'll never be able to grab hold of God. Unless you release that, that thing that you're holding so tightly, you cannot grasp God's hand. Now, we never hear another word about this man in Scripture. Look, I, I hope that this wasn't the end of his God story because that would be tragic. That if he chose money over God, things over eternity, the creation over the Creator, that would be a tragedy. He ultimately just leaves full of sorrow. His heart's still lacking. Nothing got resolved. If anything, the revealing of truth and the offer of discipleship under Jesus himself, like it actually causes his heart to travel even further from God. And he discovers a, a great lacking. But he's unwilling to imbibe the remedy. So I don't always want to ask this, but because I love you and because I think that you can hear it, I will ask it of us. How about us? Like, are we clinging to things? Are we clinging to people or insufficient ideas or attitudes? Are we holding something back? Because we're saying here, by, by virtue of you coming to the building and saying, like, I'm kind of coming to church. I want to follow God. We're in the same place as this guy. We're like, hey, I want to follow God. I want to do the right thing. What am I lacking? And Jesus tells him, hey, you've got this roadblock. Get rid of that thing and follow me. And he walks away because he can't get rid of that thing. It was too important to him. And we sit in the exact same place. We come to Jesus. I think that you're here, you know, probably not by coercion. No one forced you to be here. 
You're interested. You want to know about this kind of stuff. You want to follow Jesus. And, and, and we're asking Jesus, what do we got to do, Jesus? And he says, hey, that thing you're holding on to, let it go. And then come and follow me. And you get to decide, and I get to decide today, are we going to listen or are we going to walk away more distressed than we were when we came in this morning because we aren't willing to let that thing go? They said, well, I, I just can't right now. Okay, but if you can't, you are going to have the exact same response as this man as you walk out today. You are going to go away internally worse off than when you came today. Now, I don't love doom and gloom sort of stuff. I, I love to be positive and bless you, and, and I want you to go away joyfully. But you can't go away joyfully if you decide to hold on to that roadblock because you can't follow God and hold on to your roadblock. Is the holding on to something actually preventing us from being open to God? From being able to follow Him and hold His hand? How could we possibly, possibly get to heaven? Remember, that was this guy's original question. How could, how could we, with all these demands, give this kind of stuff up? It, it seems that, that it's not even possible to do the things. How can I give up 100%? Like, it just seems impossible, and sometimes it seems impossible to me. And I, I want to invite you back next week as, as we actually conclude this and see the resolution to this. Now, this guy walks away empty-handed, but, but I want to ask that we don't yet walk away. I want to invite you back and make sure you're here next week. But as you are sitting through this week, I want you to think about something. I want you to search your heart and soul, and I want you to find out if you're on the right path, like if, if you can answer affirmatively that you are kingdom bound, now I'm going to ask you to spend this week looking deeply into your own life and see if there's anything that's blocking you from following Jesus, like anything that's in the way of your total surrender. I don't want to do it just today because like, you're just hearing this idea now, but I want you to actually think about it, if you would, if, if you just spend this week and, and ask it maybe each day. God, is there anything that I'm holding back from you? What is my roadblock, God? Or am I all in following you? And it may be that you're all in following God. Awesome. But I want you to at least ask the question, is there anything in the way of my total surrender, anything that resembles an idol, anything that resembles a divided heart? What is your 10%? Let's get back next week and, and hear God's response for us. Let's pray today. Father, I, you know I hate to like end service with like a down note almost, God, but, but I think it's so important because I think the men and the women who are here today love you and they want to love you better and, and, and we want to follow you. You're giving us that chance. But for some of us, there's stuff that's in the way of us following you, and we didn't even realize it, and we haven't even thought about it, and we haven't even yielded it over to you. I pray this week for a powerful movement of your spirit in every single one of our person's life who is willing to, to look to you and ask some questions, who's willing to search their heart. God, I pray that your spirit would move in a way that they didn't anticipate, that they didn't even know was possible in a miraculous, supernatural way to reveal the things that we've put ahead of you. Reveal those 10% unfaithful bits. 
so that we can give them away and that we can follow you. So God, I just pray for for your movement this week, all week, in a supernatural way in each of my friends because I love them so much. And that I, I desire for us to follow you, to find eternity, to find joy, to find satisfaction, to find our way in you. But we've got to first discover if there's roadblocks. And then we've got to follow you. Would you join me in just praying for yourself, beginning the conversation with God, this week's conversation. God, am I holding something back? Am I divided? Is there an idol in my life? Would you join me in praying that? And then we're going to respond to God, and I want you to hold that in your heart all week. And then we're going to talk about it and, and find some closure and community next week in the, in the following verses.